As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible, open it up, turn it on to Ephesians chapter 3 today. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through uh, 20 today in Ephesians chapter 3. So it's that time of the year that we call the holiday season, where the holidays kind of stack up on each other. You have Thanksgiving, and then you roll right into Christmas, and then from Christmas you go into New Year's. And I love Christmas season. To me, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And I I still enjoy getting Christmas cards. Anybody in here a Christmas card sender? Yeah, and I enjoy Christmas cards, and I like seeing people's families, especially if you've kind of lost touch with one another, and you get to see how the kids and the family is growing and maturing. And I always notice how in Christmas cards, the family always looks perfect. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that? Like everybody's dressed the same, and they smile, and there's a twinkle in the teeth. And, you know, it just seems like they're really working hard to make everything look perfect. And there's a little bit of a dark Christmas truth. And that is that Christmas cards kind of lie. Because no one has a perfect family. In fact, there's this, there's this new little trend to do reality Christmas cards where instead of looking like everybody has it all together, you look like you're fighting with one another in the Christmas cards, you know, and you're going after it and, and all that type of stuff. And, and, and Christmas cards can be a little bit deceiving. Now, I'm not a gambler. I don't gamble. Even when the lotto went to $1.6 billion and I saw all of you guys in line, I, I did not. I did not gamble at, at that time. But I would be willing to gamble that at least half of you in the room today are probably stressed out when it comes to Christmas. Not only is there a lot of activity that goes along with Christmas, but there's also spending extra time with family. And sometimes this thought of family togetherness doesn't actually bring a lot of holiday cheer. And so today, what I want us to do is I want us to remember why family is important, why we value family. And I also want to share with you from the Scriptures three deeper, three biblical prayers that you can pray for your family. So look with me, Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So let's ask this question. Why is family so important? And the scripture gives us the beginning of an answer here. Because every family in heaven and on earth comes from God. As Christians, it's important that we begin to develop what is called a biblical worldview. That we don't form our understanding of the world from all the different opinions that are around us, but that we have a view of the world that is anchored in the timeless truth of Scripture. And within Scripture, we are taught that family is not merely a sociological creation. Family is a Garden of Eden idea. It goes all the way back to the beginning. In fact, if you were to set out to read the Scriptures from Genesis through Revelation, before you even got through your first cup of coffee, 
you would come across this idea that family is important. It is grounded in the fact that life is a gift from God. You see, as Christians, we do not believe that life is an accident or that life is just a random biological event, but we believe that life is a gift from God. And so the Scripture narrative begins with, in the beginning, God did what? God created. And so at the very beginning of Scripture, Christianity proclaims that life is not an accident. As you continue reading in verse 27 of chapter 1, you see that human beings are created in the image of God and that God distinctly established both male and female. So gender is not an accident in the plan of God, but God intended for there to be both male and female and that there would be a complement of gender. You move over into chapter 2 and verse 24 of Genesis and you discover the idea of marriage, that at maturity a man and a woman would leave the families of their youth and they would come together in marriage and they would establish a new family. I don't know that we always grasp that, but when some, a couple stands right here where I am and they say to one another, I do, and they enter into marriage, they are establishing a new family in accord with the plan of God. Whenever you get into chapter 2 and verse 25, and you also see this in Genesis 1, 28, we're introduced to the idea of physical intimacy and that it is a gift from God. It is not something that merely reflects me and who I am, but the Scriptures teach that intimacy has a distinct reason. It is to illustrate the marriage covenant, that it is a man and a woman coming together as one, and it is a picture of how a man and a woman come together in marriage. It is a powerful act. And it is also a meaningful act. And we're taught throughout the Bible that we are to multiply. And from marriage, babies are born. And life is extended to new generations. And the family begins to grow. And in this ideal family unit, the children are raised by their parents. They have a mom and a dad, and they're raised with the security of being a part of a family, and they are raised with the influence of both mom and dad, and they're also a part of a greater extended family. In this extended family established by God, they're going to have grandparents, and they're going to have aunts and uncles, and they're going to be part of a neighborhood and part of a community where people will pour into them, and they will also be a part of a church family, and in that church family, they will also be taught to love God and to love others. Now, I realize this. I realize that we live in a fallen world and that because of the realities of the world that we live in, that the ideal scenario is not always possible. In fact, that's a large part of the narrative of Scripture, that this is how God established family, this is how God established life, but because of our rebellion, because of the consequences of people's actions, we often find ourselves living in the realities of a fallen world. Wish God would do something about it. That's the story of Jesus. He did something about it. But I realize that we don't always have ideal circumstances. My mother 
grew up with extended family. My mom's mom died when uh, my mom was two, and her mother was 25 years of age whenever she died. And because of that, my mother didn't enjoy the normal, I don't want to use the word normal, but you know what I'm talking about. She, she was raised by her extended family. There are times where, for whatever reason, children are in need of adoption. So thankful for families who are willing to provide foster care and willing to adopt children so that they might be a part of a family. There are times where, and many in this room can relate to this, you can't change the past. All you can do is live in the present. And so you find yourself as a part of a, you find yourself as a blended family. And so you're coming together as a blended family trying to live out God's best for your family. In a lot of ways, the church is a blended family. We come from different backgrounds with different perspectives and different stories, yet we come together and we become a family because we're united by Jesus Christ. But here's what I want you to catch. Family is a page one truth of Christianity. Family is part of God's plan for society. It is foundational to our society. And if family is taken away, then we find ourselves feeling lonely, insecure, depressed. And at times we even become angry because family's not there. So let me ask you this question. How do you normally pray for your family? How do you pray for your family? Now, I pray for my family every day. In confession time, most of the time when I pray for my family, I pray very circumstantial prayers. Lord, help Karis today on her test. Lord, I pray that you might help uh, Camden, who needs, needs to become healthy. Lord, please help him with this little cold that he has. And we pray these circumstantial prayers. Nothing wrong with those type of prayers. But today I want to help you zoom out a little bit and see the bigger picture. And I want to encourage you to begin praying some of the deeper prayers of Scripture for your family. And here's the first prayer. I want to encourage you to pray that your family will be blessed with inner strength. Look at Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16. Here the Apostle Paul writes these words, I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in the inner man through his spirit, and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. So look there at verse 16. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in the inner man through his spirit. The prayer is not for the riches of this world. Now, it's okay for you to do well financially. There's sometimes this misnomer in Christianity that Christians can't do well financially. It's okay for you to succeed in business. It's okay for you to have a dream and to do well financially. In fact, I want you to do well financially, and then I want you to be very, very generous after you've done well financially. We, we love it whenever people are generous after they've done well financially. But even better than the riches of this world are the riches of His glory. The riches of God's glory. You see, you cannot decorate 
with the riches of God's glory. You cannot buy the riches of God's glory. The riches of God's glory can only be received as a gift from God. And the riches of God's glory are given to us by Christ. It's a present that God gives us to through Christ, the riches of His glory. And the best gifts in life are found in the riches of His glory. These are the gifts that can't be placed under the tree, but they are given to the soul. And notice Paul prays that our inner man will be strengthened with power from God's inner spirit. You say, well, how do I pray that for my kids? Well, what you're doing here is you're praying for their character. You're praying for their soul. You're praying for their spiritual development. Okay, we know how to pray for their physical development, pray that they might grow up big and strong and, and that they'll be healthy, but do you pray for their spiritual development? I pray that my children might have an inner strength, that they will be strengthened with the power of God, that they will experience the strength that can only come from the Spirit And that beyond all the things that they might chase in life, that they will chase after the riches of His glory. Thanksgiving was a very special time for me and my family. On Friday, got to go over to Fort Worth, and my dad was home. Uh, You you guys uh, that know me know the story that July 1st, my father had a stroke. And so for four months, he was away from home, and he was in the hospital or in rehab hospital for most of that time trying to learn to walk and get enough strength to go home, and he was able to go home for the holidays. And so it was just so neat to be there with my dad. Uh, physically, people have asked me how he's doing. Physically, he's, he's still very, very weak. You know, it's an adjustment. It's an adjustment whenever your parents age, and you start seeing your dad, who is strong and larger than life, and you see him uh, physically not able to do very much. But in his inner spirit, he's strong. In his inner spirit, he's as strong as Samson. Without the hair and and the womanizing. But he's as strong as Samson (laughs) in his inner spirit. Now, why is this? Well, I think it's because of what the Scripture teaches here. That the Messiah, Christ, will dwell in our hearts through faith. You see, when God's Spirit is dwelling in our hearts through faith, we have a strength of character, an inner strength that goes beyond the physical realm. We have character. There was a moment during our Thanksgiving discussion where he actually started crying as he thought about 60 years of preaching and how often he felt the power of God kind of working through him as he he would preach. What is that? That's the inner strength that we need to be praying for our children and for our families, that they might experience the power of God working within them. Well, here's the second prayer. That your family will be rooted in love. Look at verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and how high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that this love 
that his, this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to measure to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, go back and look here at verse, at verse 17. And I pray that you may be rooted and established in love. Have you seen those signs that a lot of people like to put up in their homes, established, you know, Banks family, established 1997? How cool would it be to have this verse on one of those signs? Banks family, established and rooted in love, Ephesians 3.17. That's what the prayer is here. That our family, our church family, our physical families will be established and rooted in love. Whenever I was a kid growing up, I dreamed of playing in the NBA. And I, I came close. I was only 12 inches short of playing in the NBA. If I had just been a foot taller instead of Michael Jordan, it would have been Lash. I would have been a one-name superstar, just Lash. You know, just go, with, just go with Lash, easier to sign autographs with and all that. But anyway, my dream never came to fruition, just 12 inches short. But in the backyard of my parents' house, they had a patio, and they put a basketball goal in for me. And I would spend hours out there just shooting hoops and playing basketball by myself. And right off the patio, there was this little tree sapling. And I remember it well because the ball would often hit it and the branches would break and then my parents would yell at me and, you know, sometimes I would run into it, it would bend. And it started getting tougher over the years, but it was still just this little tree sapling. Then about 20 years later, I, I noticed the tree again. And rather than just being a sapling, the tree is a mature, strong... I mean, now if I were to hit the tree, the tree wouldn't bend, I would bend, Right? Why? Because the tree has been firmly rooted. It is now strong. It is now established. And and that's what Paul prays. He prays that we as a church family, that we as individual families will be deeply rooted. And notice this, from those roots, the passage says, there's power. Now you say, all right, what kind of power is my family going to have? Are we going to become the Incredibles? Uh, if we are deeply rooted and established in love, are we all going to have superpowers? I hope not. Uh, it'd be kind of a scary world if my little Camden, my two-year-old Camden, became Jack-Jack. He, you would not want Camden as Jack-Jack. That would not work well. The power that the Scriptures teach us here is the power to grasp the love of Christ. It's the power to begin seeing God's love And as we see God's love and understand God's love, we're able to be deeply rooted and established in that love. You see, when God gives you the power to grasp his love for you, it surpasses anything that you have ever known, and then it drives you to love him, to love your one another's, and to overflow the boundaries of yourself and love others. Dear God, May we grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. And may we not hoard that love, but may we be deeply rooted within it and sharing the love of Christ with others so that others may see that the grace of God abounds within us. All right, you tracking with me? The first prayer is that we ask God to bless us with inner strength. The second prayer is that we are rooted and established in love. And the third prayer is that your family will have legacy.
Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do above all, above and beyond all, that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Whenever you're young, you probably don't think too much about legacy. Why? Because you're, you're trying to get established. You're graduating high school. You're trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to major in in college? Where am I going to go uh, with my career? What, what, what do I want my life to look like? And so you don't really spend a lot of time during those early years thinking about legacy. But then somewhere in your 40s and 50s and thereafter, after you have a job, after you have a house, after your back aches a little bit and you have mouths to feed, you start thinking about it. What kind of impact is my life going to make? Have you ever thought about legacy, your marriage in terms of legacy? What kind of legacy is our marriage going to have? Or your family in that regard? What kind of legacy is my family going to leave? I would actually encourage those who are younger, those who are still getting established in life, to live life with the end in mind. It's one of the keys to establishing a strong foundation. As you establish your foundation in life, think about this concept of legacy. All right, what do I want my life to really do? What kind of lasting impact? How do I want my life to outlive me? So there's some questions that we need to wrestle with. What kind of legacy are you going to leave for future generations? What kind of legacy is your family going to leave for future generations? What will the legacy of our church family be? I love the multi-generational aspect of our church family. We have young people, we have middle-agers, and we have older folks. We have children in our church, and I'm thankful that we have multi-generations because I, when generations come together, we learn from each other. We, we need those different perspectives. Those that are younger need those that are older to help give them uh, wisdom and perspective and sometimes say it'll be okay. Those that are older sometimes need those that are younger to give them zeal and vision and say, all right, let's go do something. And Paul teaches us here that we need to think big. Frequently, our vision is just too small. Because he says God is able to do above and beyond anything we can ask and envision. God can do more than what you think he can do. Why? Because he has the power that we do not. And what's more, he desires to transfer that power from heaven to earth. He desires to transfer that power from him to you. And so the scripture says, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask, any request you bring to God, God is able to do above and beyond it. Think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. That the legacy of our family, the legacy of our church, does not need to just last for our lifetime, but it needs to last forever. And the prayer ends, Amen. Literally in Greek, that would mean truly. Some translate it, so let it be. May this be reality. My friend, 
Jeff was a nerd. <laughs> I'm not being critical. He called himself a nerd. That's what he, that's what he called himself. In fact, we, had a, uh, we, were, we were in a fantasy football league together, and uh, he named his fantasy football team the Nerds. My team's called the Screaming Preachers, but his team was, was the Nerds. And, uh, and he, he would have fit in well with Sheldon, Sheldon, Leonard, and Raj. You know, that's just who he, who he was. But he wasn't an atheist. Jeff had a very strong Christian belief. And he lived out this belief at his church. I was his pastor whenever I was in Austin. I was his pastor for about eight years. I remember one time our music minister resigned and we needed somebody to fill in for a couple weeks. And so Jeff filled in for a couple weeks and that couple weeks turned into a couple years. But he was faithful. He just did what he was supposed to do. He loved his wife, loved his son, loved his community. And you probably have guessed because I'm talking about him in the past tense that when he was in his 40s, he had a heart attack. And it took his life. Uh, Jeff loved Christmas music. And this time of year I always miss him because I enjoyed hearing him sing at Christmas time. He'd play the trumpet and he would play, he'd play Christmas carols on his trumpet. Now that's something unique, isn't it? I miss him. But his legacy lives on. Why? Because of the way that he lived his life. Because of the way that he lived his life, his legacy lives on in his family, in his church. His legacy lives on in me. You see, he learned that a life of legacy is not lived in pursuit of your own glory. A life of legacy is lived in pursuit of God and his glory. And when your life connects with the power of God, the impact of your life can connect beyond anything that you can imagine or ask for. And God can use your life to impact generation after generation. And God can use your life to have an eternal impact. So as we pull out of Thanksgiving's driveway and we head down the road to Christmas, here's my prayer for your family and our family as a church, that we will be blessed with inner strength from the Spirit of God, that we will be deeply rooted and established in the love of God, and that God's glory will be the legacy of our family. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please, as we come to a time of prayer and commitment? I want to remind you that I'm here at the front, and if there's anything that I may ever pray with you about, please come see me. It's my joy to pray with people and to encourage you. If there's decisions that you need to make in your Christian walk, perhaps God's leading you to a point of baptism or to a point of salvation, I would love to talk with you more about what that means and, and how you can follow Christ with your life. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you because we acknowledge that you're God and we pray that you will help us as a congregation to be filled with strength in our inner spirit. So often, Lord, we spend all of our energies chasing after things that do not last. Help us, Lord, to spend our energies chasing after the strength of character that's given to us from the riches of your glory.
Father, I pray that we might have a legacy that outlives us. And I pray, Lord, that we as a church and that each family and each marriage will be firmly rooted and established in the love of God. And Lord, I want to pray for the families that might find themselves in turmoil today. Perhaps it's a husband and wife that are fighting with one another. Perhaps it's the relationships with the extended family where there's tension. I pray that you might give us perspective, wisdom, calm. Pray, Father, that you might do a work that only you can do. And that we might understand that family is a gift from you. So will you strengthen our marriages, dear Lord? Will you strengthen our families? And may our homes not be a place of anger. May our homes not be a place that we dread to be. But may our homes be a place where grace and love abound. It's in Jesus' name we pray and worship.